Welcome to the Tabletop Sportcast with your host, James Cast. It's October 17th, 2022, and this is episode 87, where I'm going to do a recap of Play's Hoops in Hartford event that took place this past Saturday. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, feel free to email me at tabletopsportcast at gmail.com. Reach out to me on the Facebook page at Tabletop Sportcast. And if you'd like to help support the podcast, you can head over to patreon.com backslash tabletopsportcast. Now, without too much further waiting, let's get into a recap of the Hoops in Hartford event by Play Games. So this past weekend, I drove to Hartford, Connecticut, uh, where Play Games was hosting a live event uh, called Hoops in Hartford. Uh, It could have been titled, and I even referred to it as Hoops and Hardball in Hartford, and it's uh, mostly because those are the two main activities we were focused on. Uh, A lot of the people attending arrived on Saturday. There was only a handful of us that actually came in Friday night, uh, and... You know, Friday night wasn't really too much about a gaming sessions. Uh, in fact, most of Friday, I by the time I got in, only one other person, uh, Mark Russell. Shout out to Mark Russell, who was also there on, on hand. Mark and I just had a chance to catch up, talk a little bit about gaming, but we didn't really play too much uh, in terms of games. I think we may have taken a look at um, the game I've been working on, the Fury Stakes. Uh, and throughout the weekend, even on Saturday, I was able to get some Good feedback on that game. I uh, just showed it a couple times to a few folks. So it's happy about that. Uh, but a good amount of the crowd actually started showing up uh, Saturday before the event. Uh, it was scheduled from 12 to 5. So we had about five hours. First half was going to be was designed to finish out the pre-play of the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs, and if you happen to catch the live stream and the play space, uh, they had got whittled it down to the four teams. Uh, it was the Phillies, uh, the Dodgers, both from the National League in the L- NLCS, and then in the ALCS, it was the Yankees and the Astros. Those are the four teams we were going to be working with. We used History Maker Baseball Express uh, to play out those series, about a seven-game series for the L- LCS. And once we determined the two teams that were advancing, then those two teams were going to play in a seven-game World Series. Uh, we had enough to have three different games going on, um, and we got we kind of got started right around noon uh, when there was enough people to really get the process going. I think a few more folks showed up later on, and it was a good mix. It was a good mix of uh, people who have been very experienced with the games, uh, and including, you know, uh, Northeast celebrity Steve Tower on hand. Uh, if you've caught him on YouTube, he was on hand as well, uh, as well as Keith and Sam, obviously there to run things for play spit for the play games. And then there was some people fairly new. Uh, some of the uh, attendees had just really started getting into play games in the in the summertime uh so you know and some of them just this year so they're you know we had a good mix of like uh, veteran play gamers and some newbies uh 
and that made it really interesting because we had a chance to really talk about different experiences with the games, uh, hear about, you know, some of the folks had not had a chance to play some of these newer games. So that was kind of cool, too. So we got started, uh, broke into pairs to play History Maker Baseball Express. Uh, and I've been playing it a little bit at home. And I think that seemed to be the consensus uh, with the group. Uh, you know, I'm definitely in the camp where I, if I have my choice, I'm going to try to sit down and play the full version. I'm going to play the full version of History Maker Baseball. But I will also say that there's an advantage when you're trying to get multiple games into playing the quicker version, which is the express version. And what's interesting is playing it head to head. Uh, and, you know, I'm like most of you probably that most of the time when I am playing games, I am playing solo and trying to get the enjoyment out of the game that I can as a solo player. But when you get to these live events and you have a chance to play with another person, there's something pretty unique about History Maker Baseball Express in that space, and that's that it doesn't really take a lot of strategy to play History Maker Baseball Express. When you play that Express game, you don't need to know a whole lot. Uh, and the way we played it with some random decisions, like, for instance, we rolled to determine what relief pitcher was going to come in. Uh, everybody had predetermined starting pitchers. The only thing that was really left was to determine your batting orders and who was going to play. And most of the time, those teams had the right number of starters, so there really wasn't a lot of decisions. Uh, in the NLCS, most of my I was playing all my games. I played four games in that. All of them were uh, Philly and Los Angeles. You know, Phillies and Dodgers. Uh, I was playing with um, Fuzzy. Fuzzy's a big time um, participant on the Delphi forums, which is another interesting mix that we had here at the event. Uh, some of us spend most of our time on Facebook. The other group was mostly on Delphi. A couple of folks who kind of moved between both of those. So we almost were coming from different parties there too. But what was great is that playing the Express game, you don't need to make a ton of decisions. The game really does that for you. And because of that, it makes it for a really good equalizing game on in, in, in an in-person, head-to-head matchup. When you play the full game, especially if you start to incorporate things like strategy cards, experienced gamers are going to get an edge, right? They're going to know how to play you know, that bring the game into the play, the gamesmanship part of it, not just the baseball side of it, right? They're going to know how to work the game engine, how to work the strategy cards, and they will have an advantage over someone who's fairly new to the game. But when you have play the game, like the express version, all that's really taken care of for you. And there's really, it comes down to really one decision left for you to make in the game. And that's when do you go to your bullpen? And for some of our games, that really even wasn't that much of an issue. I think there's a tendency for the starters to go further in the games at times. And, and that's if things are moving along and you have a good starter, which in these playoffs, we were going to have good starters. You're going you're gonna to leave them in until they get into a trouble spot. And that's really how it worked out. Uh, my first game was a fairly close one. Uh, we were playing game one of the NLCS and 
I think our final score ended up being 5-3. And I had, I was controlling LA, had Kershaw on the mound facing, you know, uh, Zach Wheeler. They both went into the eighth inning and I pulled, you know, Kershaw in the eighth when Philly got a men on base result with the bases loaded. And I just said, okay, well, I can't stay on that men on base chart. And one of the key mechanics you get is switching off of that men on base chart to the main chart again. Now, when you do the random reliever, you have to really keep your fingers crossed. And I got lucky. I got Chris Martin, the closer to come in and, you know, uh, well, not the closer closer, but one of their top relievers. And, you know, he's rated through the roof. He's a, a star double flash, double control. And, even though I get to get to give him a bonus quality, I just decided not to because he had everything he needed. Uh, and I was able to get out of that jam. I got, I got the ground out, <clears throat> ended the inning, escaped the trouble. Uh, and then, you know, I was playing head to head with Fuzzy and he did the exact same thing. I think I got second and third in a tight game and he went to his bullpen. Uh, Alvarado came in for Wheeler and again, shut us down and, you know, both teams got out of big jams in the eighth inning by bringing in those relief pitchers. But there were other games where we had to make that decision. And uh, I think one of the games I was already down for nothing. And I was trying to decide, like, you know, all of a sudden it was the fifth inning and I got another base loaded situation <clears throat> and my starter was good. I already already used Martin and I was trying to decide, do I go to the bullpen here? And I decided to wait. I got lucky, got out of that jam, but that's that was the one decision that was left to each of us as managers. So we played two games in a row. So games one and two were played by me and Fuzzy, and we split those first two games. And then games three and four were underway, and there wasn't anyone else to play games five and six yet. And once we realized uh, we had split, game five had to be played. And while we were playing game five, games uh, three and four finished up. And they split, so we knew we had to play out games five and six. And so Fuzzy and I switched teams. I had played the first two games with the Dodgers. He had the Phillies. We decided to switch teams just to get a chance to play with the other team. And we ended up splitting again. And I think both of us ended up throwing shutouts in our wins. So game seven was played by someone else, and it ended up being a Phillies win, I believe, or was it the Dodgers? Can't you know? I'm actually forgetting now who won that winning that NLCS, but I want I want to say it was the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers ended up winning. Didn't really matter though, because the Astros, who demolished uh, the Yankees in the ALCS, uh, four games to one, ended up sweeping the World Series, and I played. Uh, one of those games, and I I lost to Houston. I think Houston jumped out in front early, um, a big second inning, scored four runs. I ended up getting a couple runs back and lost uh, four to two uh, in that game. But good stuff, you know. So we played it out, and Houston ended up being our World Series champion. So uh, that took us – about an hour, hour and a half to do that. And then we took a little lunch break and we got ready for hoops. And hoops, the plan was to play three separate games. Uh, there was three versions. You know, Keith had 
gotten or made arrangements to make sure that there was three versions of the game on hand. But there was enough folks who hadn't seen the full game. So he went into and spent a lot of time just explaining it, playing it as he explained the game, just to make sure people could understand it. And that worked out pretty well. I think people were able to really provide some feedback. I uh, won't go too much into the details, but, you know, what I will say is, uh, and, and I will kind of repeat some of the feedback that I gave Keith, uh, what, which was... To me, like, I think the game is whoever's out there who has played the express version, which is really the the initial version, Highlight Maker Hoops. If you've been playing that game, you know, you're using the exact same cards, although in the full game, you're going to get a chance to utilize the referee cards. There's a couple of qualities like the experience qualities that will come into play. Uh, and you see those on the cards already, but we just don't use them in that Highlight Maker version. Because you, if you've been playing the highlight version that's out there now, you have a chance to really understand like the dynamics. How are these qualities going to come into play? What's the dynamic of playmaking versus rebounding versus shot making? You know, free throws are going to play out pretty much the same as well. The only real tweaks to the game is, you know, of course, bringing in the three-point shot, which doesn't exist in Highlight Maker. And actually having to work on the rest mechanics and and I think it's you know it's been pretty well advertised that there's a chip method that's used here and I think it works really well um you know I've, I've talked about in previous episodes that when it comes to the full game of basketball my go-to game has been status pro basketball and I think it's a great game it's a lengthy game it's going to take me 90 minutes to two hours with stat keeping to play out you know, status pro basketball. But I think it does really a good job of capturing all the different stats and giving you a chance to feel the flow of a basketball game. The, you know, highlight maker hoops or history maker hoops, I, I don't think it, the name has been settled in, but the full version of the game has that same appeal. You can feel the flow of a basketball game and you get most of the stats that you need as well. Uh, I think the one thing that's still a little tricky is the assist uh, tracking assists. That one's probably not fully defined, although I've, I've heard from a few that that's something that's still being worked on. So you get that nice flow of the game. Uh, and what I do like about it uh, is that, and you see this in the highlight maker version as well, that you're not reliant on making dice rolls for every shot that's out there. You're still going to make the dice rolls for the free throws like you do in the highlight maker game, but you're not having to roll on like a three point range or on a two point range for every shot that you need to take. A lot of them are just determined. Do you have the quality or not? So that dynamic works pretty well, but it's that rest mechanic of using the chips and working through the TV timeouts. And I won't go into a lot of details on it. You know, I'm not I'm certainly not an expert and I haven't had a chance to really play it that much. So I'm not going to really dive into the mechanics, but it certainly does win over status pro basketball, which to me, while it's meets the needs, it's a very mechanical feeling stamina drain. Uh, you know, you start with a certain number of points. You lose those points based on plays that you're making. 
And it's, you know, maybe mechanical is not even the right word. It just feels very artificial that you're going to just work a guy until he's complete, until he's drained. Uh, and that, you know, anytime you have to do the math in one of these games to be able to figure something like that out, it just doesn't work as well as it does if it's an actual game mechanic that makes it happen. And this chip method is works in two ways, right? You're, you're rolling to, you know, if you decide to do it randomly and you have the option to actually assign chips, uh, you're assigning chips to basically, um, shot makers and playmakers on your team. And that determines who the flow of the game is going to go through, through that segment. You know, a quarter is usually broken into three segments, uh, broken up by the TV timeout. So during that segment, uh, you know, I guess it's about a four minute segment. You're going to determine who's my offense going to run through. And that means those are the players who are more susceptible to have to take a rest when you get to the timeout. So you have that risk reward factor going on there. And, and then there's the idea of freshness that's involved in here too. And because you have to work with freshness, Yes, you're going to probably keep your star in whether they're fresh or not. You know, if I have a Michael Jordan, if I have a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I am probably going to ride them as much as I possibly can unless they have a forced rest. But as long as they're not forced to rest, they're probably so good that even when they're not fresh, I'm going to try to keep them on the floor. However, my back-end starters, like three, four, and five starters, and probably my six, seven potentially eighth guy off the, you know, on the bench, there's probably not so much difference there that freshness will actually be a factor and you'll have to decide like, okay, who comes in now? You know, maybe I go to that backup point guard or go to that backup shooting guard or bring in that backup center, you know, depending on who my star on the team is, I'm, I'm probably going to move some of the other players around to keep as many fresh people on the floor as I can. And the coaches play a much bigger role in those segments as well on whether or not they can energize the team or if the team is feeling complacent or if they're feeling neutral. Like that's going to play a much bigger role uh, in during the course of those uh, playing segments than it does in the highlight maker game as well. It is a longer game. Uh, I think watched uh, Keith play um, with uh, another guy. And they played a game. It was probably with full stat keeping somewhere between that 90 minutes and two hours, which I just it's hard to find a basketball game that can be played faster than that. So that's where they were right now with the hoops. I think they're still, you know, he he definitely mentioned and it was pretty apparent that playtesting continues on it and that they're going to continue to try to work on just a few pieces but for the most part you know the last time i had seen the full play game was at the convention uh in 2021 you know play.con 2021 so not even this year the last year's convention was the last time i actually got a chance to sit down and play the game and it hasn't changed by that much there's a couple of things that i noticed that were different this year I didn't really get a chance to see it too much at the convention even though there was a couple of folks that were playing it but i didn't actually sit down and watch it too closely. So I didn't see it at that point, but yeah, between a year ago and now 
subtle differences is what I noticed. And I think it's very close, but it's it sounds like it's not quite there just yet. So looking forward to that. And, you know, I think it was interesting. They, you know, uh, the plan was, and this is the game I watched Keith play, is what the plan was to play Boston Celtics and Philadelphia 76ers from last season. So that's the game they played. It was a high-scoring game. It, I mean, it was – I think they ended up with something like, like around 140, uh, 137, something along those lines. Uh, it was a pretty close game in the end, but it was a pretty high-scoring game. And I think those two teams averaged about 110 points per game last year. So this was much higher than what you had expected. And as he was counting up the stats, and he was like, yeah, he's like, well, you know, uh, 41 like free three-point shots to like 37 or something along those lines. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a lot. And then I had to go back and like look up what was their averages last year. And sure enough, they were within like just a couple of three-point shots of each other. And that was like, okay, wow, look at that. It's like pretty much right on in terms of the number of three-point shots that these teams are taking. So while the points were probably a little higher, you know, that could come down to just – you know, more fouls were being made or um, just shootings percentages were a little higher. Don't really know. I, I wasn't paying too close of attention to be able to do it. And I don't know those two teams well enough to be able to understand, like, where were there some core differences there. But overall, like, the game played pretty well. They went to the final minute segment with the game within four points. And, you know, that's that's what you want out of a game. You want to be able to have, like, a nice tight game when you get to the end of the, of the game, especially with two good teams like Boston and Philly were last year. After that, it was, um, you know, after hours gaming. And, and you know, while um, Keith and David were playing that, that uh, full version of the Hoops game, uh, you know, Mark Russell and I were playing some uh, Fury Hardball, and, and that's one of the other things that's really fun with these uh, these live events is getting a chance to play some different games. Um, uh, the four of us sat down, and Keith and I kind of worked through uh, Aviatrix 37. Uh, not a sports game by any means, but certainly a very challenging game. And uh, we did. We we actually completed the flight uh, from you know from Oakland to Oakland. We did the around the world flight. We did not meet the time uh, limit. Uh, you have 30 days to do it for the big prize. I think we ended up like between 39 and 40 days. And we had some really late drama uh, that that cost us a bit uh, and had some pretty big delays late that just cost us some major time. But, hey, you know what? We survived it. We made it through. And that was fun. So... It can be done, uh, and that's, you know, some of the advice Keith has given with Aviatrix is, you know, be patient, take your time, repair when you have to, your plane, don't try to take too many chances and see, you know, what you can do in terms of building experience. And that at that time had given me seven experience, uh, so you get like some extra blue dye to work with if you've ever played the game, and that was a bunch to work with. And then sure enough, I went upstairs to my hotel room and pulled it back out again and tried a new flight and I crashed and lost all that experience on my next attempt and didn't even get that far. I was on like day five when I crashed. So it was just awful. Even tried to save myself with one of the blue dye and it just, I rolled a one and that was it game over. So 
uh, that's the kind of stuff we were doing. Uh, got a chance to check out some of the Play Now games, uh, you know, one of the card games that um, Sam's been working on as well. And that was the kind of stuff we were doing and just getting a chance to talk to others about some different games. Um, you know, you always get a chance to talk about things that aren't play games. Uh, I heard a lot of folks talking about Stone Cold Hockey. Um, you know, that's certainly one of the hot games out there right now. And there was a few people there who had had a chance to try it out and play it and we're getting into it quite a bit. I uh, heard about, you know, we talked about some of the old time game companies, uh, heard a lot about Strat, heard about APA. Uh, from a baseball standpoint and you know just really cool to be able to sit down and talk about those and even some non-sport games you know we talked about war games and uh you know it was um i think it was mike little mike little and he had posted this on the facebook uh, page for play but talked about using the, the bull riding game that little um you know a business card game that keith and sam created that he uses in his classroom which i thought was awesome so you know Congrats to him, and uh, it was great seeing and meeting him. He was one of the newbies that we got a chance to meet as well. So, yeah, it was a great time. Um, I enjoyed it. It was great to get to another live event. And if you get an opportunity to go to one of these live events, I think you know there'll there'll be more of them again now that we're on the other side of this pandemic. And you know, the the convention is an amazing experience, but. Getting 10 to 12 guys together to just play some of these games is also a pretty cool experience. So if you get the opportunity and, you know, Keith is coming to an area near you, like make the trip, you know, spend a few hours. It's 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 a great solo hobby. But at the same time, if you can play with others, it's it just adds to the experience. So thanks to Keith and Sam for making the trip out east and for making it possible just even though it was a long drive for me to be able to get there and, and enjoy that event with them all right let's come back in just a minute and wrap this episode up so that's a wrap on this week's episode uh, next week I will be back with uh, another new episode. We're going to do a top five list. Uh, I'll save the topic for a later date, but I think it'll be something that will help you in project planning, or at least, you know, part of how I do my project planning is, is kind of the hint I'll give there, but it's going to be a top five list related to project planning. Before we go, I do want to highlight a project that, um, Ben Hardy, Ben Hardy, who's um, one of the listeners for the podcast, has been playing some Legends of Boxing. And after hearing the interview with Gary, he wanted to share with me a project that he's been working on called the Southeast Side Boxing Club. Uh, and he has based a fictional boxing universe uh, centered around... Uh, I'm going to probably mispronounce this, but Whiting or Whiting, uh, Indiana, a town that's just on the border of Illinois and Indiana. And what he has done is he's given uh, four of the different parks in the area, each have their own local gym. And he's got a couple of fighters in those local gyms that have bouts against each other. And the idea is he's trying to figure out like which of the boxer, you know, is there going to be which boxer is going to be promoted out of that gym? And eventually, they, you know, and he does most of the gym 
competitions as like an abstraction. I don't think he's actually having all those fights, but the idea is that he wants to get four boxers, one representing each of the gyms, to come forward and be part of this Silver Gloves Cup, uh, Silver Gloves Cup, and he wants them to continue to battle and then the winner of that silver gloves is going to advance to like the city's golden gloves tournament and that's that's really what he's been trying to work through and trying to and putting together his you know boxing universe and i think it's really cool like what he had basically said is at once one of his boxers is going to lose then you know that's when the season's going to be over and he's going to move into like his season two kind of like generate some new random boxers uh he'll have some new boxers popping up in each of the gyms and anybody who ends up with losing records they're gonna he's gonna move them out like they're gonna give up their careers but you know you're gonna have some of the guys with winning records stick around for the next season and there'll be some fresh faces for them to go against and then eventually he'll be able to continue to promote those boxers up into higher and higher levels you know maybe move them into like state competitions you know national competitions uh and i think that it's really cool when he does you know something like this so you've created your own fictional universe and the career campaign guide for legends of boxing does allows you to do this kind of work so great project um looking forward to hear more about it and probably you know it certainly sounds like something that i'll be able to you know think about recreating on mine because after i did my fictional career with Chris the Cannon Carter. That was one of the things I was thinking about was like, you know, I had rolled these five different boxers and I went with him thinking he was the best, but I don't know, maybe I didn't pick the right guy. Maybe I should have picked one of the other guys and maybe I should have given them more of a chance to develop themselves as well. Like, you know, it, I looped myself into that one development path. Maybe I could have taken a couple of different paths there too. So Something to think about when you're playing uh, the, with the career campaign guide for Legends of Boxing. And thank Ben for sharing his project with the audience. All right. Uh, until next week, just thanks for listening. And again, reach out Facebook, Gmail. Or, and if you want to help support the podcast, uh, head on over to Patreon.com. Thanks for listening.